good evening. So I'm still trying to decide whether recording directly from the podcast app or recording um, from my uh, audio recording app and then transferring it into the podcast app is better. So if the imaginary people who are listening to this have an opinion, please let me know. Um, I can't remember if the last one was recorded on the app or not. So I'll use next week, well, next um, podcast as the decider. So this one is recorded, just in case I forget, this one is recorded on the recording app, not the podcast app. The other thing I was thinking about was I'm still struggling with the how to transition to different style of episodes and I thought until I decide or until I get my ass into gear and actually plan some things that I would just do like a little as part of my introduction before reading something that I would do like a little update for myself and also just to bore you even further um so when I came home today so like I don't know how many of you have ADHD but something that we're very good at is getting like carried away with a new idea or getting excited about a new idea and then not following through with it as I'm sure anyone who is a loved one of someone with ADHD can attest to um so my most recent thing of that that I decided today and I've, I've come up with versions of it before um is to not sit on the couch as soon as I get home it's not like some brand new light bulb idea but so previously when I've done that I've kind of not really I've not done it in a structured way it's just been like a decision of don't sit on the couch as soon as you get home do something else first but I thought something that seems to work well for me is not having too high of a standard or a perfectionist um, expectation on myself so rather than being like I'm not going to sit on the couch until I've cleared this room and I've done this many dishes and this much laundry and um, done this to-do list and fixed all my appointments and phone calls and whatever it's just that's not realistic and it's going to lead to failure which will then make me feel worse which will then become like a vicious cycle so today what I did is I got home I turned the tv on put youtube on and put a not a podcast but uh well it's wheezy news I don't know if you know wheezy news but um which his podcast today was an update on something that he was doing for himself so it's kind of like in the theme of I guess self-improvement and the thing I liked about that is I don't have to worry about the extra step of setting a timer um, because I'll just go until I feel a bit tired or I feel like I would naturally be done and then I'll just press pause on the YouTube video see what time it is see if I feel like I could do more um, and on top of that I then sort of have like entertainment as well because I've noticed that recently I am um, really kind of relying a bit more on having something distract my monkey brain while I'm trying to do something that I know I need to do whether that be cleaning or trying to go to sleep or even most days now having a shower like 
um, for a lot of people with ADHD or depression or what have you, um, just little things that you have to do every day um, can be really mentally exhausting, um, whether that's because you're physically tired or sore or because you have so many thoughts going on in your head um, or you lose track of time and you forget what you've done. So for me now, I generally will put a show or something on the podcast even while I'm in the shower. I've now started doing it on the way to work. Sometimes I go between music and podcast, um, which in a way I don't like because I feel like I never really have much silence at home anymore. Um, But on the other hand, it's like if it means that I'm doing the things that I need to do regularly, then I can't complain. And I like the fact that I'm usually either being entertained or learning something at the same time. So today I started the video, went and did some dishes and some laundry, picked up a few bits and pieces. And then I came back. I'd say to me, it felt like about 15, 20 minutes, which sounds like not long to most people. But um, and I checked the video and it had been nine minutes. And so I thought if I stop now, even though I've done more than what I would have done normally, I'll still feel like I didn't really put in enough effort and there was a lot more to do. So I thought if I go for another five minutes or so, then that's at least 15 minutes. And the thing is, when you put in just that tiny bit more effort, you usually get more follow on effort from that. So like, for example, sorry, this is turning into quite a long intro. Um, For example, when I started doing yoga from home, I was kind of using the same logic of don't aim to do 45 minutes of yoga six days a week and um, be able to do xyz stretch blah 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 I wanted to start with small achievable goals to build up momentum and encouragement and motivation and if you so happen to feel like doing more then you can and then you feel good about that but you also probably won't push yourself to the point where you're uncomfortable and you're won't be bothered to do that again and then you just stop in your tracks so in my eyes it's better to do 10 minutes of something every day for two weeks than it is to do an hour and a half of something for one day and then have four day break and try again and only make it 10 minutes in and then feel shit about yourself so I think during that two-week period I only ended up doing maybe one session of 10 or 15 minutes and the rest of the sessions were all between like 20 minutes and maybe an hour um so that worked quite well so today rather than stopping at the nine minutes I went and did a bit more in total it was around 23 25 minutes so I only was aiming for 15 so I went by by giving that tiny bit more effort to try and make it to the 15 mark I ended up going over which I think tends to happen when you set more achievable goals. Um, Because for a lot of people, 15 minutes of doing something that they find physically irritable, painfully boring, like for a lot of people, the term painfully boring is not an exaggeration. Um, Especially if you've just come home from work or something else that, you know, is draining. Um, So 15 minutes is, is a decent amount of time to aim for something. The only thing I would say is try to um, 
try to decide before you do the activity whether you're just going to hone in on one task or if you're going to do like a general sweep. So if you get home and you feel like a general sweep for 15 minutes is going to make you feel just a bit more settled, then do that. But if there's like one particular thing that's been bugging you or one particular thing that you, if you get that out of the way, it will clear up stuff for something else, then focus only on that thing. Don't get distracted. Um, And if you want to talk more about organization and not so much organization, but decluttering, um, then let me know and I can do a further chat about that because this has already been going for like, see, again, this is my concept of time. I felt like I've been talking for like, 15, 20 minutes, and it's been almost exactly nine minutes. Um, That is a good, uh, never mind, we'll talk about that another day. (laughs) Anyway, I wanted to find a fictional book, because I feel like a lot of um, the episodes that have done better, and by done better, I mean people have wanted to listen to them all, has been um, the fictional stories. And the thing about trying to make a boring sleepy podcast is I don't have to try and find an interesting book the only person who's going to really get properly bored by it is me um and also I don't know if anyone else knows but something that's frustrating about the analytics of this app is it will tell you how many people have listened to an episode but it won't tell you how long they've listened for so let's say a hundred people listen to a fictional story episode that would then give me the impression that that's something that people want to hear more of. But for all I know, the 20 people that listened to a 10 minute video that wasn't fictional could have listened to the whole thing. Whereas the hundred people who listened to the fictional, sorry, not video, audio, the hundred people that listened to the fictional audio might've only listened for one minute and decided that wasn't for them. So if anyone does have any feedback on that, feel free to um, go to my Instagram. Um, And if you don't like Instagram, then um, I don't really know. That's something else I was thinking of, actually, because the age group of the people who are listening is around, let me just double check. I think it's like 25 to 35. Oops. So... Just to let you know, because I didn't, I, I don't know if it's just because it's your own creation that these things are more interesting, but this never really interested me before, but it does now. Um, the the stats, and I don't know how accurate they are. I think all of the stats are gotten from, like this this app that I use is, um, I didn't realize until someone told me recently that it's a like a, a child company of Spotify. Um, so the the... Basically, if you're listening on Spotify, I'll probably get more accurate information than if you're listening somewhere else. But apparently, so far, we've got um, 69% of people listening are from America. uh, United States, that is. Uh, 14% are from Australia. 12% from United Kingdom. 1% from Canada. And 1% from Germany. Uh, 86% of you are listening from Spotify. 2% 2% are listening from Apple Podcast. Now, keep in mind, I've only been on Apple Podcast for, I think, like a week. And I've been on Spotify for, like, three months. So that makes sense. 2% from Bullhorn, which I've actually never heard of. And then 8% from Other. 
So I don't know what other includes. If you're listening from something other than those ones, let me know. And then our audience demographic, we've got 2% are between 0 and 17 years old. 10% through uh, are 18 to 22. 13% are 23 to 27. And then pretty much even with 26 and 25% is 28 to 44 year olds. Um, which, you know, it's interesting starting this podcast around COVID because it doesn't, I don't think it quite gives you an accurate idea because it's like, is that age group listening because they sleep by themselves, because they're stressed, because they're not working at the moment? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. And then we've got 13% between the ages of 45 and 59. And... 7% of 60 plus. And what I find really cool about that is that there's literally at least 1% in every age group. Um, you know, obviously the, the outliers are a bit lower, but yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, also, we have a slightly higher percentage of females listening, 57%. Now, the age and the gender is just from Spotify, mind you. Um, so 57% women listening and 40 male and I think it's really awesome that they include not specified and non-binary so we've got one percent of not specified and under one percent of non-binary so yeah I find that super interesting and in order of popularity of um, episodes we've got I'll just do the one, two, three, four, five top episodes is the Swan's Way Bedtime Stories, which that was one of my earlier ones. So I, I, I don't think that's why it's more popular, though. I think it's because of how long the episode is, the fact that it's an actual fictional story. And also, I think I really focused in that episode on having like a monotonous, sleepy, quiet, slow voice. Um, and so, yeah, that one's significantly higher than the rest. Then I've got the Dracula one, which is, um, also fictional, obviously. I've got Witching Hour Ramblings, which, to be honest, I can't actually remember what I was talking about in that one. Um, got Countdown Relaxation and ch Casual Chat in the, on the Way Home. So they're quite different. There is a mix of fiction and nonfiction. Um, I guess the running theme with all of those ones is that they are really steered towards boring people and keeping them company while they sleep and helping them get sleepy and not need to concentrate on what I'm saying. So if you find that the slightly louder introduction portion of the um, episode is annoying to you, then let me know. I might see about getting rid of it altogether or maybe even splitting the episodes in two. So having like, um, you know, so let's say whatever the name of the book is, I could just do intro and then, you know, episode 0.5 or whatever, where I read the actual story. So that way, if you really don't enjoy the introduction, you don't have to listen. Um... So, now that I've been rambling for 15 minutes, the episode's not called 
Hermit Ramblings for nothing, um, I will talk about the book. Now, I'm really, really bad with remembering what movies, TV shows and books I have seen or read. Um, I have a habit of um, confusing previews or blurbs with entire shows. So sometimes I'll watch something thinking, oh, I've only watched the preview of this and it will take me like 40 minutes to realise I've actually seen it. Or I'll go the other way and think, I've watched that already, but I've actually just read the blurb or watched the preview. So I have a feeling that's going to happen with this book because the blurb looks really familiar, but I don't know if I've actually read it. It doesn't look that used. Like when I read read books, it's quite obvious. Um, so I have a feeling it hasn't been. I think this is one of the ones I picked up at a um, either a, what do you call it? an op shop or a second-hand bookshop so I hope you find this terribly boring it's very big so I'm not going to read all of it and I don't think it's done in chapters either oh yeah it is hold on there's no contents but it might be done in chapters yeah it is awesome I really like that for podcasts to be able to separate into chapters let me just look at how long the chapters are yeah cool then quite short actually so that will work for this one because I don't want to be talking in your ear quite all night okay so the book is called uh the alphabet sisters by Monica I don't want to pronounce this incorrectly but I probably will because it's Irish Monica McKinney 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 um and it's been there's a quote at the bottom of the front page that says family members click and clash in this entertaining story with a poignant twist by Australians Women's Weekly and this is the blurb <clears throat> sorry Anna, Bet, and Carrie sorry got a weird font I'm gonna go with Carrie were childhood singing stars the Alphabet Sisters as adults they haven't spoken for years not since Bet's fiance left her for another uh, another sister. Dramatic. Um, I'm just going to place the phone down because I don't need to be that noisy, and it's easier to read the book while you're down there. Now Lola, their larger-than-life grandmother, summons them home for a birthday extravaganza and a surprise announcement. But just as the rifts begin to close, the Alphabet sisters face a test none of them imagined. An unforgettable story of three women who learn that being true to themselves means being true to each other. I, um, yeah, doesn't matter. Uh, here's some more quotes. Tender and well observed. There is also plenty of McKinney's trademark wit, but have the hankies ready for this. Probably her best novel yet. A gentle, life-affirming story. We come away feeling better about the world and maybe just a little more tender towards those close to us. McKinney is a... McKinney, I'm so sorry. Is a dab hand at getting her characters exactly right. They are utterly believable, often lovable and familiar. You'll be laughing out loud one minute and crying the next. A delightful story that shows how quarrels can be solved with love and loyalty. So I already feel like there's going to be a death in this book, which I don't love. But, say lovey. Okay. Oh gosh, there's even more quotes. Okay, we get it. People like you, lady. 
Okay. Chapter one, London, England. Your sister is married to your ex-fiancé. Jessica's voice rose to such a pitch that Bet Quinlan half expected the light bulbs to explode. I'm pretty sure I could reach that pitch. We've worked together for nearly two years, and you tell me this now? Bet knew right then and there that she'd made a big mistake. It didn't ever really come up until now. Something like that doesn't need to come up, but that's something you tell people within minutes of a meeting. Hi, my name's Bet, short for Elizabeth. I work as a journalist in a record company, and my sister is married to my ex-husband. I don't think I personally would be introducing myself like that. Ex-fiancé Bet corrected. She tried to backtrack. Look, forget I mentioned it. I'm fine about it. She's fine about it. He's fine about it. It's not a big deal. Liar, liar. Of course it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. I love both you at your grandmother's party. No wonder you're feeling sick about it. I'm not feeling sick about it. I said I was a bit nervous about going home for it. Not sick. Tomato, tomato. Oh, bet you poor thing. Which sister was it? The older one or the younger one? The younger one, Carrie. Oh, sorry. The younger one, Carrie. Bet felt like the words were being squeezed out of her. And what happened? Were they having an affair behind your back? You came home from work early one day and caught them at it in your marital, sorry, engagement bed? No, it wasn't like that. Bet, stu Bet stood up. She's definitely made a mistake. That afternoon at work, she decided to invite her friend and colleague Jessica back for dinner to tell her the whole story. She'd hoped it would help make this trip back to Australia easier. Prepare her for people's reactions again, like a dress rehearsal. But it wasn't helping at all. It was excruciating. She ran her fingers through her dark curls, trying to take back control of the situation. Can I get you a coffee? Another glass of wine? No thanks. Don't change the subject either. So did you go to the wedding? Would you prefer tea? Jessica laughed good-naturedly. Come on, Bet. You brought it up in the first place. Think of it as therapy. It can't have been good for you to go around with a secret like this bottled up inside you. Did you go to the wedding? Bet sat down again. I didn't, no. Well, no, of course you didn't. It would have been too humiliating, I supposed. She blinked at Jessica's bluntness. Did your sister use the same wedding invitations? Just cross out your name and put hers instead? Jesus, friend cha sounds charming, doesn't she? That's not very funny. Jessica gave a sheepish smile. Sorry, couldn't resist. So who was the bridesmaid? Your older sister, Anna? No, she wasn't there either. Jessica frowned. None of her sisters were there? What? Did it cause some huge fight between all three of you? In a nutshell, yes, it was a bit like that. Really? You haven't spoken to either of your sisters since the wedding? No, Bet shifted uncomfortably in her seat. All seen them. Not since the weekend of the big fight which had followed the Friday of the revelations, which had followed the weeks of the suspicions. Not for three years. Your grandmother's party will be the first time you've seen your sisters in three years. At Bet's nod, Jessica gave a long, low whistle. This is more complicated than I thought. No wonder you went so weird when that fax from your grandmother arrived. No, it's a fax. That's cute. I didn't go weird. Yes, you did. Have you got any photos of your sister and your fiancé together? Oh, gross. Why? Don't you believe me? Of course I do. I just need to get the whole picture of it in my head so I can give you all the advice you need. I'd rather you didn't. Please, Bet. You know how much I love looking at photos. That much was true. Jessica was the only person Bet had ever met who genuinely enjoyed looking at other people's holiday photos. She wouldn't just flick through a packet of snaps either, but would inspect each one, asking about the subject, the setting, the film speed used. Jessica was being her most persuasive. 
I'm sure it will help you. This way, I know exactly who you're talking about. Thanks anyway, but, but come on, you've told me half of it. I may as well see the rest. Look, I... Please, please, please. Bet gave in, picking up the small photo album lying on top of the bookcase in the corner of the room. At least... Sorry. The phone is falling. Uh, I'm just going to pause this for a second, because I want to make sure that you guys can actually hear me. Because if I read this whole damn chapter... And you can't hear me, then that's going to annoy me. Never mind. There's no way of me checking that without cancelling the whole thing, so hopefully you can hear me. It's making some sort of movement on that little doobalaki down there. Okay, where were we? Um, she had left South Australia in such a hurry three years earlier that she hadn't taken any of her photos with her. The only ones in her album were those her parents and Lola had sent with their letters. As Jessica gleefully started turning the pages, Bette retreated to the tiny kitchen with the dirty dishes, feeling sick and steamrolled. Thirty-two years old, she still hadn't learned how to stand up for herself. For a fleeting moment, she wondered how her sisters would have reacted in the same situation. Anna would have given Jessica a haughty stare and chilled her into silence, and Carrie would have tossed her blonde head and told her laughingly and charmingly to mind her own business. But no, not Bette. No, she just felt embarrassed about having said too much and then handed the photo album over anyway. She decided to blame the wine they'd had that night for this sudden need to show and tell. Nine parts alcohol, one part truth serum. She came back into the living room and picked up a music magazine, trying to pretend that she was watching trying to pretend that she wasn't watching Jessica's every reaction as she poured over each photo. For a while the only sound was pages turning, interrupted by Jessica asking the occasional question. Is that your mum and dad? Beck glanced at it, a photo of her parents, arm in arm, in front of the main motel building, wearing matching Santa hats, squinting into the sunshine. They'd sent it in their Christmas card the previous year. That's right. Jessica read the sign behind them, the Valley View Motel. Is that where you grew up? We moved around a lot when I was younger, but that's where they are now. Jessica nodded and turned the page. And this is Lola, the old lady wearing too much makeup? Bet didn't even have to look at that photo. Yeah, that's her. Would you look at those eyebrows? They're like caterpillars on a trampoline. She was your nanny, did you tell me? Sort of. Nanny always seemed too mild a word to describe Lola. She certainly minded them as children. With their parents so occupied running the motels, it was Lola, their father's mother, who had practically brought up Bet and her two sisters. But she was more a combination of etiquette teacher, boot camp mistress, and musical director than nanny. Is she wearing fancy dress in this next photo? Beck glanced over. It was a picture of Lola beside her 79th birthday cake, nearly 12 months earlier. She was wearing a gaudily patterned caftan, dangling earrings and several beaded necklaces. Nothing too out of the ordinary. No, that's just her. Jessica kept clicking the pages, and then she stopped suddenly. Bet tensed, knowing she'd reached Carrie and Matthew's wedding photo. Bet had wanted to throw it away the day she received it, but she stopped herself. She hadn't wanted her grandmother to be right. It was Lola who had sent the photo to her, enclosing a brief note. You'll probably get all dramatic and rip this up, but I knew you'd want to see it. So this is the, this is them? Jessica asked. That's them. Jessica studied it closely. Carrie's very pretty, isn't she? And he's a bit of a looker too, you're Matthew. Nice perm. At least Jessica hadn't said what people usually said, I can imagine, when remarked how pretty Je uh, Carrie was. You don't look at all alike, do you? That's exactly what people say when they see me and my sister. 
Um, as for her other remark, he's not my Matthew, and it wasn't a perm. He's got naturally wavy hair. Jessica grinned, just seeing if you defend him. She turned the page and gave a loud hoot of laughter. Now we're talking. I've been dying to see proof of the Alphabet Sisters. Look at you with that mad head of curls. Bet tugged self-consciously at the same head of curls, now at least slightly less mad. Lola had sent her that photo too. It arrived with just a scrawled note, subtle as ever. Remember the good times with your sisters as well. It had been taken at a country show in Outback South Australia more than 20 years previously, at one of the Alphabet Sisters' earliest singing performances. Anna had been 13, Bet 11, and Carrie 8. Bet could even remember the songs. Song sung blue, swing low, sweet chariot, and David Cassidy, and a David Cassidy pop song. Just minutes after the photo had been taken, a fly had buzzed its way straight into Anna's mouth. Her shocked expression and sudden squawk had made Bet and Carrie laugh so much, both of them had fallen off the small stage. A wide plank of wood balanced on eight milk crates. The memory could still make Bet laugh. Jessica was inspecting it very closely. Oh, Jesus. You were a bit of a porker back then, weren't you? The smile disappeared. Well, that was nicely put, Jess. Thanks. Jess was unabashed. I always believe in calling a spade a spade, and you were a plump little thing. Look at that little belly and those rosy red cheeks. Bet didn't need to look. The little belly and those rosy red cheeks had never gone too far away. She was about to ask Jessica if she still thought she was a porker. She had gone up and down in weight so many times, she hardly knew what size she was. But Jessica was too occupied with the photo. She was taking in every detail, the flicked fringes, the matching dresses, the bad makeup, all Lola's handiwork. She glanced up at Bet. Not exactly the cause, were you? Bet laughed despite herself. I bet they didn't look that good when they were teenagers either. I bet they did. Have you ever wondered if there's a fourth cause, sister? A hideously ugly one they kept locked away? Jessica looked at the photo again. You're not very alike, are you? Even apart from the appalling eye makeup and the different hair colours, unless they're wigs. No, all our own work, I'm afraid. Anna had straight black hair, Bet's was dark brown and Carrie's dark blonde. She presumed her sister's hair colours hadn't changed in three years. She'd find out soon enough. In less than two weeks, in fact. Her stomach gave a lurch. The facts from Lola in South Australia had arrived at Brett's work out of the blue. Just the one line. Sorry, Bet's work. If Bet didn't come home for her 80th birthday party, she would never talk to her again. Bet had rung her immediately. Lola, don't do this to me, please. She'd said straight to the point as soon as her grandmother answered. You know what it'll be like. Elizabeth Quinlan, stop being such a baby. You're scared of seeing your sisters. So what? I'm nearly 80 and I've got a lot more to be scared of than you have. I could die at any moment. Now hang up, book your ticket, and get here as soon as you can. I've got something I want you to do. Lola had obviously taken her extra strength bossy tablets that day. I can't drop everything just like that, Lola. I've got a life here now. And you've got a grandmother in Australia who has missed you very, very badly and wants to see you again. Her voice had softened. Please, Beth, come home. For me. Beth had thought about it for two days, veering between excitement and dread at the idea. One image had kept popping to her. Sorry, one image had kept coming to her. Lola, standing in the front of the motel, beaming at her, waiting to give her a hug. In the end, Bet had compromised. Yes, she would come back for the party, but it would be a lightning trip. She'd arrive in South Australia the day of the party, and then leave as soon as possible afterwards. Lola hadn't been pleased at all, but I need you here for longer than that.
I can't, Lola. I've got a life here, she repeated firmly. It had been a strange sensation. She wasn't used to standing up to her grandmother either. Beside her, Jessica was growing through the album again. It's a tricky one, that's for sure. No wonder you're so nervous. Your first meeting with your sisters and the happy couple in three years, all of you in the same motel, not to mention the added tension of the party. Bet nodded, waiting for her friend's sound advice, the helpful comments. Jessica shut the album with a snap. I'd say it's going to be ferocious. Sydney, Australia. Anna Quinlan knew that outside the sun was shining, that less than a kilometre away the waters of Sydney Harbour were probably glinting in the sun to a soundtrack of fairy horns, gold cries and tourist guide commentaries. But it could have been the Sahara Desert outside. She'd be trapped inside this coffin of a recording studio for three hours now, trying to get the voice exactly right for a new range of kitchen sponges. She decided the client was not just from hell, but from somewhere much deeper, hotter, and even more unpleasant. She peered through the glass of the studio window again, counting to ten as she caught the sight of him. He looked like a suit-wearing, spotty child who surely couldn't have driven himself to the studio today. He didn't seem old enough. She snapped back to attention as Bob, the producer-slash-technician, pressed the button on the intercom so his voice came into her headphones. Anna, Henry feels you are really getting there, but he wonders whether you could combine the laugh in your voice from that first take with the kind of bubbling tone you did on the one before that last one, and a little more lightness to the whole thing. Henry leaned forward, speaking to the microphone as though he was an MC at a football club presentation night. Yes, loved that bubbly sound, Anna, just perfect for our demographic. You don't mind, do you? Mind? Mind that she had spent three hours saying one sentence in dozens of different voices? Mind that the preschooler in the suit had tried to describe the mindset of a kitchen sponge? A kitchen sponge. To her. It's determined. It's energetic. It's fun. No, it's not Henry, she thought. It's a three-inch square of detergent-soaked sponge with a scouring pad on one side that you do dishes with. It isn't Russell Crowe. She bit her tongue. Whatever you do, Anna, don't let them see you're upset. Keep cool, keep smiling, and keep up the front. She'd learned that lesson after years of unsuccessful auditions for parts. No one wanted a moody actress. It was much better to be tagged as a thorough professional, even if it was sometimes mistaken for haughtiness. And at least Henry had definitely decided that the sponge was female. Today's booking had been set up, cancelled, then set up again, while Henry, his advertising agency, and his market research team argued over the best gender for their new sponge. Anna looked at Bob for help. He was just chewing as normal and hitching up his trousers, unfazed, also as normal. She knew he didn't care how long the client took. He charged an hourly rate. Some of her frustration must have shown on her face. Bob took pity on her. He spoke again surreptitiously, inclining his head towards the client. Anna, perhaps it would help if you visualised yourself in the sink, getting slapped up to help your housewife. Sorry, homemaker clear all those dirty dishes and there's one particularly greasy pot that's going to need special energy but you know it'll be worth it to scrub like mad until every spot is gone another barely noticeable nod of the client whenever you're ready tapes running it worked a treat staring through the glass seeing her sharp bobbed hair and immaculate makeup reflected back at her Anna imagined Henry evolving into a dirty grease spattered saucepan she imagined herself as the sponge leaping out of nowhere and scouring his face until every spot 
and blackened head and black head had disappeared, shouting all the while in a voice that was a combination of Mary Poppins and a kamikaze pilot. She leaned towards the microphone. Let me add it, I'm the clean machine. Henry's pimply face broke into a huge smile. That's it, perfect. Thanks, Anna. She just leaned down to her bag when his voice came in again. But would she be able to do it one more time? I think it just needs a touch more softness to convey the moisturizer we've included in the washing up liquid. <laughs> An hour later, Anna was driving out of the studio car park. The voice of the sponge was now lodged in her head and she knew from experience it would stay there for the next few days or until a new character's voice took its place. Last month, her internal voice, her mind voice, had varied between a kitten stuck up a tree for a cat food commercial, a warm-hearted nurse in an old folks' home for health insurance, and a cake waiting to be iced. That had taken three hours to get right to, before Bob stepped in once again with her motivation. Imagine you're the cake, Anna, okay? You're scared, you don't know which brand of icing you're about to be iced with, but you sure as hell want it to be high quality. So we need a combination of fear, anticipation, and... Her seven-year-old daughter, Ellen, loved it, of course. She treated Anna's repertoire of voices like a human jukebox. Lying sleepily in bed, listening to a good night story, she'd pick and choose the voices. Mum, can you read this one like the Zuma broom? The Zuma broom featured in an animated TV commercial where the ordinary household broom metamorph... metamorphs... I think they... I don't think that's the word. Metamorphsed? I think it's supposed to be metamorphosized. Into something Harry Potter could have used for Quidditch, babbling nonsensically all the while. Ellen's other favourite was the Ocean Pie, a gurgly underwater voice. Anna parked on the street across from the hospital, ten minutes late, hurrying towards the lift. She composed her face, already hearing the disapproving tones from her neighbours, who had grudgingly agreed to collect uh, to collect Ellen after school and bring her here to the clinic for her latest appointment. The lift door opened up and Anna spied her little daughter in the distance, standing up on a chair near the nurse's station, chatting to one of the staff. In the dozens of hospital visits since Ellen's accident, she had gotten to know all the nurses very well. Anna tensed, as she always did when she remembered the trauma of those first months. She decided it was time Ellen had a good spoiling. She'd give her whatever she wanted for dinner, let her watch whatever video she wanted, and then read her all the stories she wanted as well. By nine o'clock, Anna's patience was wearing a little thin. Ellen had been alternately... Hang on, that's the incorrect word as well. Alternately tearful and cranky all evening, insisting... No, that does sound right. Sorry. <coughs> insisting on pizza, then not eating any of it, and not settling on any one video, but wanting to watch specific scenes out of five different ones. Anna finally had enough speaking more crossly than she intended, which set off the tears again. Then she read two extra stories, purely out of guilt, hardly finding the energy for the different voices. Ellen still wouldn't settle, hopping in and out of bed. She stood in the doorway of the living room now, tears on her face. Is Dad home yet? Anna kept her voice mild with effort. No, darling, he's not. Where is he? At work, I think. She thought. She didn't have a clue where Glenn was. He didn't ring her and tell her anymore if he was going to be late. Or if he was going to be home at all. In fact, can you read me another story then? Sweetheart, you've had enough stories. It's time for sleep. I can't sleep. I'm scared. I keep remembering. The doctor's voice came into Anna's head. 
There will be some post-traumatic stress and reoccurring fear, but it's important you learn to listen without making too much of it. Children are children and very skilled at knowing which buttons to press. So what was she supposed to do? Ignore Ellen's tears? Tell her to get over it? Of course she couldn't. She pulled herself up out of the deep sofa. Alright Ellie, you hop back into bed and pick another story, I'll be there in a moment. By the time Anna got to the bedroom, Ellen had changed her mind. Can I have a tape instead? Can I hear really great friends tape? Again? You sure you don't want a story tape? Ellen lay back and shook her head. Her dark head fanned her dark hair fanned out on the pillow. The tape had arrived from Alola more than two years earlier, with a note to Anna attached. This is for you to play to Ellen. I'm still having no part of this nonsense between you and your sisters, but I'm not losing a great-granddaughter because of it. Please play her this tape so I'm not a shock each time she meets me. Anna put the tape in, then lay on the bed beside Ellen, stroking her hair from her face, stroking her hair back from her face as Lola's voice filled the room. Her still, strongly Irish-accented tones were clear and precise. Hello, Ellen. This is your great-grandmother speaking. Now, my little dope. I've been giving a lot of thought to what you should call me, and I think I've come up with the best solution. Your scoundrel of a mother started calling me Lola when she was just a child, and her two sisters followed suit. But you need a different name for me, and I think, and not just great-grandmother. I'd much better than great. So, my darling, I would like you to call me really great-gran from now on, okay? There was a pause on the tape. Are you listening, Ellen? Lola asked. Yes, Ellen answered sleepily beside Anna. Your voice on the tape continued. Sorry, the voice on the tape continued. Good girl. And are you happy with that? Happy to call me really great-gran? Yes, really great-gran, Ellen answered in a pause. She knew this ritual off by heart. Good girl. Now I'm going to tell you a few stories about your mother and grandfather, but first I'm going to sing you one of my two favourite songs. So settle back and relax. Relax. Anna bit her lip as Lola started warbling. Don't sit under that apple tree in her falsetto voice. The last thing Lola's voice would make you do is relax. She could clear a room in seconds. Ellen didn't seem to mind. Lola could have been singing a sweetly tuned nursery rhyme the way Ellen was reacting. Her lips were getting heavier by the second. Her lips mouthing the words along with her great-grandmother's slaughtered version. Anna smiled, remembering the song. It was one of the first ones Lola had taught Anna and her sisters. There'd been a row over who got to sing the high notes. Carrie had one, hadn't she? Or was it Bet? Certainly hadn't been her. Cursed with a deep singing voice as her speaking voice. Cursed with a as deep a singing voice as her speaking voice. She'd always sung the bass parts. Lola reached a shrieking crescendo, then paused on the tape as if expecting her performance to be followed by rapturous applause. One of my favourites, Ellen, and one of your mum and aunt's favourites too, as is this one. Are you comfortable? Sing along with me, darling. As Lola embarked on the good ship lollipop, Anna glanced down. Ellen was fast asleep. Back in the living room, Anna poured herself a glass of wine and pressed the TV remote control. She stared at the screen, trying to pick up the plot of the thriller, fighting the desolate feeling inside that she seemed that seemed to be rising closer to the surface each day. One phrase kept occurring to her. I'm lonely. Lonely. Yet she had friends in Sydney, didn't she? People she could meet for coffee. And hadn't there been joint friends, other couples came over for dinner or that they met in restaurants occasionally? Not anymore. They'd all slipped away the past year or so. 
like extras in a film, Anna thought, silently stealing away and leaving the main action to unfold. She couldn't blame them. Who would want to be around to see how she and Glenn treated each other these days? The TV program changed to advertisements and Anna noticed, without pleasure, that it was her voice coming out of the mouth of the animated mobile phone on the screen. She'd done that one two years ago now, and here it was, back again. She put down the glass and rubbed her face with her hands. Who was she fooling? She didn't want to talk to Glenn or any Sydney friends or colleagues. She wanted to talk to her sisters again. She wanted Carrie to sympathise with her. She wanted to bet to cheer her up with some madly melodramatic account of how bad her day had been. And she wanted to tell them both how awful things had become with Glenn, especially since Ellen's accident, but how wonderful Ellen herself had been most of the time. She could ring her mother or father at the motel, but she'd never really confided in either of them. It had always been too hard to get the timing right. They'd either be in the kitchen cooking for house guests or out in the bar doing the accounts or any of the hundred things both of them always seemed to be doing. She couldn't ring Lola, or she could ring Lola, but lately those calls hadn't been having the calming effect they used to have. For the first year or two after the big fight, Lola had been understanding, trying to see each of their points of view as she always had. Understanding had turned to exasperation. This is ludicrous. I'm ashamed of the three of you. Carrying on like this. She tried the frosty approach for a while. I'm not talking to any of you while you persist in this ridiculous carry-on. But then Lola had missed their phone calls too. Just because I'm talking to you doesn't mean I've forgiven any of you. But for the past six months, there has been silence on the subject. Perhaps she realised, as Anna herself slowly had, that that was that. It had gone on too long now for things to change. A scream on the TV made Anna jump. A young blonde detective was being chased down a dark street by two men in suits. Her face in close-up fear-stricken. Oh shush, would you? Anna said out loud. You're just acting, for God's sake. She put the remote control on the shelf under the coffee table. As she did, she noticed the mail in the pile, wrapped inside the free local newspaper. How long had that been there? She checked it up and picked the date. Sorry, she picked it up and checked the date. More than two weeks old. How many times had she asked Glenn not to leave the mail there? Is this what it come to? Each of them deliberately doing things that they knew most annoyed the other. She flicked through the bundle. Bills, advertising material, a fundraising letter from Ellen's school, and a thick cream envelope. She turned it over, recognising the handwriting immediately. Puzzled, she tore it open. It was an invitation. She read it again. No, not an invitation. A summons. Clare Valley, South Australia. Lola Quinlan turned her gaze away from the vineyards. Visible through the window of the Valley View Motel dining room and back to the table where her youngest granddaughter was sulkily folding serviettes. Did I tell you what happened in the charity shop this morning, Carrie? A young woman around your age and check that this is still recording. Yes. A young woman around your age, perhaps a bit older, came in and said, could I try on that dress in the window? And I said, yes, of course. But I'd much rather use the changing room. Carrie didn't smile or look up. You've been telling that one for years, Lola. Good jokes never die, you know. What did the zero say to the eight?
Nice belt. She glanced to the elegant gold watch on her thin wrist and stood up. Time for days of our lives. I'm not going to offer you any help because you're doing such a marvellous job of it yourself. And you know how important I think it is for you young people to see a job through from start to finish. Carrie ignored her, not looking up as her grandmother came closer. Carrie, are you ignoring me? <sighs> Sorry. The younger woman kept her head down. That's fine, but don't frown like that, darling. It's very bad for the skin. If you're going to sulk, at least do it with a smile on your face. Or try doing those exercises I showed you. The ones that firm your chin. See? Like this. Lola started grimacing, stretching her lips sideways, then into a tight pout, and then out again. Twenty of those a day, and it's like a gym workout for your face, so I read. A little alarmingly for any passers-by, but that's the price we pay for endless beauty, isn't it? Carrie started to smile. That's more like it, Lola said. And I know what you're thinking, and yes, I am a wizened, interfering old bag of bones. I'm quite happy to be like that. She leaned over and kissed her granddaughter on the top of the head. At five foot nine, her posture still excellent. Lola towered over Carrie. But I still love you, you know. If you really loved me, you wouldn't have... Yes, I would have. Lola collected her handbag. Will you be staying on for dinner tonight? Thursday's schnitzel night. No, I'll go home, I think. How are those renovations going? Carrie and her husband had bought an old farmhouse several, several kilometres south of the Valley View Motel the year before. Fine. Slowly. Lola was watching her. And how is Matthew, Carrie? Carrie turned back to the serviettes. He's fine. Up to his eyes in sheet manure and the vet magazines as usual. You know, the sort of thing. You getting on alright? Yes, thanks. Really? Lola was like a human sniffer dog, Carrie thought, still not looking up. Line up a row of people and she'd sniff out each of their problems instantly. Not this time, though, Carrie decided. The days of confiding in her grandmother were well and truly over. Really, it's a bed of roses, in fact. Rubbish. No marriage is a bed of roses. That at least was one of the positive things about Edward dying so young. We might have missed out on the good times, but we missed out on some of the bad, boring times as well. Lola was amazed, as always, at how easily the lies about her husband tripped off her tongue. Tell me, do you ever get bored with Matthew Carey? Tell me, do you ever think you're overstepping the mark with your questions, Lola? Oh, good lord, yes. But people are usually so shocked they've answered me before they've had time to think twice. Do you know what I found out this morning? That Mrs. Kennedy's stepping out with her son-in-law's father at the moment. Talk about keeping it in the family. Having a grand old time, she told me. Carrie felt a rush of combined affection and annoyance, her usual reaction to Lola's behaviour. That's the only reason you're still working in that charity shop, isn't it? It's nothing to do with helping the poor or, help or keeping yourself busy. Lola made an elegant gesture with her hand. If people choose to tell me things, there's nothing I can do about it. I see it as my gift to society, helping people unburden themselves of their problems. Digging the dirt on them, you mean. I noticed you changed the subject, by the way. Don't think that's the end of it. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I think you do. Now then, I must be off. I'm going to call on your mother in the kitchen and bake some afternoon tea. I really do have the perfect setup for an old lady, don't I? A son and daughter-in-law with their own motel and restaurant, and a great and a granddaughter who is the sweetest in the world. Lola gave Carrie another kiss, then swept out of the room, leaving a faint trace of expensive perfume behind her. Alone in the dining room once again, 
Carrie worked quietly until she had folded the last of the serviettes. With a loud sigh, she leaned back in the chair. One hundred paper swans surrounded her. This time in two days, the room would be transformed for a wedding reception. The paper swans swimming elegantly up and down the rows of long tables. She'd already strung up the fairy lights the bride had requested. She'd ordered the special candles from Adelaide, and they were due to arrive at any moment. The bridal arch had proved tricky for a week or so. It would all come together, though. She'd done it enough times to be sure of that. She sat back and flicked at one of the paper swans with her finger. It toppled, falling against the swan beside it, which also toppled. Within moments, a whole row of them had fallen in domino style. She could have jumped up and stopped them, but instead watched idly as the last dozen or so flipped and rolled onto the unswept floor. She didn't care. At that moment, she was sick of it all. She was sick of her job. She was sick of the motel. She was sick of the fact that people made such a mess while they were eating that they needed serviettes in the first place. She was feeling especially sick about her grandmother, wanting to throw a birthday party for herself and insisting that Bet and Anna attend. But why, Lola? Why now? It'll ruin everything. Carrie had said that morning, hoping she wasn't giving too much away. All that tension. I'd given you all three years to sort it out and you haven't even got to the starting gate, so I'm taking charge once and for all. I've written to both of them as well, insisted they come or else. So they will, I know. Carrie opened her mouth to protest, but once Lola's quelling looks had blasted her way, she shut it again. Scooping up the paper swans now and ignoring the status under their wings, Carrie replayed the conversation yet again. If only Lola had turned 80 a few months ago, a year ago even, but no, it had to be now, and she had to insist on throwing a party, a huge party. Wouldn't you be happy with a nice family dinner? You, me, mum and dad, Carrie had suggested hopefully. Of course not. I could die any day and I want to go out with a bang. And I want Anna and Bet to see the explosion. Besides, I've got something very important I want the three of you to do for me. Important? What's wrong, Lola? You're not sick, are you? Don't pry, Caroline. I said I wanted to talk to the three of you about it. Once I had the three of you in the same room together. Again. The three of them. The three of them who haven't spoken to each other for years, let alone been in the same room. All the same town. Or the same country, even. And whose fault was it? Hers. Who did everyone blame? Her. But now it had all changed, hadn't it? The reason none of them had spoken to each other in that time no longer existed, which would make this reunion of Lola's even more hideous and humiliating and horrible than it would normally have been. Carrie took her anger out on the last of the paper swans, crumpling it up in her hand and then immediately feeling guilty. Sorry, Swanny, she said out loud, soothing the serviette and readjusting the little paper beak. It now looked like it had been in the washing machine. She tucked it away in her pocket. The way her luck was going, this one would end up on the bride's placemat and she'd cause a scene. Carrie had already spent enough hours calming the young woman, and she'd fretted about everything from the numbers of the prawns to be served in the prawn cocktails to the mathematical probabilities of it raining on her wedding day. Carrie had wanted to snap at her more than once. You think the wedding day is stressful? Try getting through the marriage. She jumped as the bell at reception rang once, twice, a third time. Right now, she had enough guests. She had enough of guests, too, especially guests who rang the bell more than once. She walked out, plastering a smile onto her face, knowing it was just several teeth short of a grimace. At least she was exercising her facial muscles. Lola would be pleased. 
Good afternoon, she said to the waiting couple, her voice sickly sweet. I'm very sorry to have kept you. You know what? For a short chapter, that felt really long. But not bad. Not bad. So we've made it to almost an hour, which I think is maybe my longest yet. I have no idea as to the quality of this audio, so hopefully it hasn't all been a waste. It's not even, it's almost 6.30, but sleepy nonetheless. I hope you all sleep well, and I will speak to you next time.